I tell you about a story who, um, about a guy who. Have you? Cool. The Jesus one. Can I tell it again? Is that all right? All right then. It's about a guy who couldn't walk. Can you walk? No, it can't be you then. Can you walk? You sure? Because he was sitting down like you were. You sure you can walk? Show me. Oh, well, it definitely wasn't you then. But he was sitting down just like you guys. He was sitting there and he had a bowl in front of him. Why do you think he had a bowl in front of him if he couldn't walk? You can walk too, yeah. Why do you think he had a bowl in front of him if he couldn't walk? For money, that's right. But if I put a bowl in front of me, there's no money going in there. Okay, you can too. Okay, sit down. He put a bowl in front of him. He couldn't walk, and that means he couldn't even work. So he had no way of making money. And so where he lived, what they did was he would sit in the street and he put a bowl in front of him and hoped that people would put money in the bowl as they went by. And that's how he could buy food to eat. Not a great way to live, is it? Just sitting there in the dirt and the dust all day. People walking by going, please, please, money, money, please, please. They call it asking for alms. Isn't that a funny thing? You ever ask for alms? You ever got alms? It's spelled a bit different. It's spelled with an A-L rather than A-R. So he was sitting there and he couldn't walk and his friends used to carry him all the way to this gate and he'd sit there. And he'd sit there all day begging for money. Then his friends would come at the end of the day and they'd carry him all the way home again. That'd be pretty boring, wouldn't it? Just sitting in one place all day. He was having to sit there all day, just sit there. That'd be hot in summer, wouldn't it? Out in the rain. Anyway, one day, two of Jesus' disciples called Peter and John. Do you remember who they are? They were walking by him and he was sitting there. And, and, and the man was sitting there and he saw Peter and John and he went, Arms, arms, arms for the poor. Money, 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 money. And Peter and John stopped and they looked at him and he thought, oh, good, someone's going to give me some money. And Peter looked at him and he said, I haven't got any money on me. I left my wallet at home. He was going to church. He didn't have his wallet. Who does that? Maybe he does electronic tithing. But Peter looked at me and says, I haven't got any money. I can't give you arms, but you know what? Jesus will give you legs. And he grabbed his hand like this and he said, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. It's a miracle. You can walk. And the guy jumped up and he's dancing around and he's singing. Imagine if you couldn't, couldn't walk for 40 years. So you're as older as old as your dad. And you'd never walked. Would that be a long time? Imagine being that old. That's really old, eh? <laughs> and not being able to... It's irrelevant. <laughs> But imagine that, you're not being able to walk for 40 years, the whole lifetime of your dad, and then suddenly you could walk. Would you go, oh, I can walk and just sit down again? What would you do? What would you do? 
would you do if you could suddenly walk? You'd walk, sorry? You'd walk around. So you'd just go, oh, I can walk now. That's cool. Go get myself a job. Is that what you do? I know. We should get Deb to show us. <laughs> Deb, what would you do? What would you do? <laughs> I reckon that's what you do, yeah? And this guy, he went walking and he was leaping and he was praising God and having a real old party because he hasn't walked for 40 years. I reckon he would have got home that night and his legs would have been so sore because he hasn't used those muscles for a long time, yeah? And he was dancing and yahooing because that's how much God loves us, you know that? He cares about every part of your life and he wants to make sure that you can walk and you can dance and you can praise him. And you can sing. Did you? Cool. So, yeah. So, you guys are going to head out with Deb right now. And she is going to help you. The question is, can Deb walk? So, if you all want to head up to the front room. And you might have to have a miracle up there of Deb walking, but we'll see how we go. Deb will be the last one in the room. Uh, it's all good, eh? The moment you look down and realise that you put a pair of shoes on to move the car and they're the wrong shoes for the day, but hey, you've still got them on. Sneakers and jeans. Hey, sneakers and jeans are all right. All the guys sent, yeah? It's only women who have problems with sneakers and jeans, I've worked out. Guys don't. It's a women thing. Hey? <laughs> I just pulled them on because I had to go move the car and forgot I put them on. It's a sport thing. All right. I'm going I'm to talk first, then we're going to have communion. Is that all right? Because I don't think I'm going to talk for a long time because I sort of feel like I should have preached at the start because what I was talking about is what we've been talking about. But um, this is where we are, so we'll do it here, hey? I want to really talk about looking forward, not looking back. Because I find it's really easy to see your life in the context of where you've been. And, and the world will actually tell you that. You know, one of the things we talk about in training is um, people don't know what they don't know. Does that make sense? You know? You don't know what you don't know. If, if you haven't, if I never, you'd never seen someone use a fork to eat with and I sat you down at a table and said, go ahead and eat and there's a fork sitting there, you wouldn't know what to do. Yeah? You know, we teach our kids from a young age how to use a fork. And it's the same throughout life. You can't always assume that people know what they know. And so we're told that we look at our life in the context of where we've been and what we've been through and that frames up our worldview. But that's not actually how God sees life. He actually wants to change our worldview from what it is to what it should be. And we've actually got to move out of worldly thinking that says, this is what life looks like because of what you've been through. Does that make sense? It's, and probably the best example I can give you is with the, um, 
the Israelites, you know, when they were in captivity in Egypt, they were there for 400 years. So that's about three or four generations, maybe even five. And they're sitting in captivity. And in that time, you learn how to think a certain way. You see, your upbringing has helped you to develop your thinking. Does that make sense? And this is why often when there's um, an issue in a family, it actually will flow down through generations. You know, and it could be a positive or a negative issue, but it'll flow down through generations. It's why people who are wealthy, often their children will be wealthy and their grandchildren will be wealthy if it's a part of who they are. But if you get somebody who has grown up in in relative poverty or struggling and you give them, you know, a million dollars today, within 18 months they'll be back in the same situation or worse. Because their thinking is conditioned not by their situation but by their past. You know, if you get a wealthy person or a person who's been wealthy, you know, and for whatever reason just it disappeared without, out of their control, and you get somebody who grew up struggling and you gave them both a million dollars, I can guarantee you within a year, one, the wealthy person would have the two million dollars. Because they're conditioned to think in a certain way, the other person would have nothing because of how they're conditioned to think by their upbringing. Does that make sense? All right? And this is what happened to the Israelites. They went through, and because of their three or four, maybe five generations of, of slavery and poverty, that when Moses comes in and God delivers them through the plagues and they walk out of Egypt, they still think like slaves. They're still thinking bondage. They're still thinking they're under the oppression of Egypt. I mean, think about it. God did some amazing stuff. Yeah, we would think if he turned up and went, okay, I'm going to cause hail to fall from heaven. I'm going to cause, you know, frogs to flood the land. I'm going to cause, you know, darkness to cover Egypt, but where Goshen, where the Israelites are, is going to be perfect light. You know, if he went through and killed the firstborn of every non-Christian and then you got to walk out, and as you got to walk out, every non-Christian walked up to you and handed you their wealth, which is what happened. You know, they, they, they turned, the Israelites turned to their Egyptian masters and said, can I borrow your gold necklace? Can I borrow your gold earrings? Can I borrow your, your, your jewellery? Using the word borrow, and the Egyptians gave it to them knowing it wasn't coming back. They plundered them. And even though they saw that, you would think they would have a mindset, that, hey, God's going to deliver us, but they didn't have that mindset because it was conditioned to their thinking because of their upbringing. And so when they walked out and they came to the Red Sea and suddenly the Egyptian army comes up behind them, they didn't remember what had happened over the previous month or so. They remember what happened over the previous 400 years. And they cried out to Moses and said, have you let us out here to die? God had just delivered them. They had just plundered the Egyptians. God had done amazing miracles, but their first response was... 
Our oppressor is over us. And um, God's got this fantastic verse. I, I, love, um, I love what the Amplified says, and I reckon I should read it more because it's really cool. But Hebrews 13, verse 5, the second half of it, it says, For he God himself has said, and this is the Amplified, so it makes it nice and big, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not. You get on your phone, it doesn't say like that. One thing I don't like about phones is they actually edit. Something important to notice. Get your Bible. Something about have it on paper because you get the full version. Yeah? It says, I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Then read again. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way foul you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. That's what God says about you. And you see, too often we're like the Israelites and we're, we're sitting there and, and um, it, it's, it's like the elephant. You know, you see, have you ever seen an elephant? They don't see them at circuses anymore. But, you know, the elephant at the circus, you could go down to the circus and when they had animals in the circuses, and it's sort of sad they don't in some ways. I understand why not, but it's sort of sad they don't because it's really cool watching them. But you'd go down and you see the elephant standing there. And it would have this little thin chain around its ankle going to this little stick that's probably you know, no bigger than, than my arm, not even that, sitting in the ground. And you look at that and you go, this is the thing that they use to pull the big top up. They used to attach you know, a harness to the elephant and, and you know, before they pull the big tent up, they'd set a pole and they would attach a harness to the elephant and put a rope to the centre of the pole and the elephant would pull away and it would pull the, the tent, would go up. And we're talking big tents. And you're thinking, how does this animal that pulls, literally pulls the tent into place, held by this flimsy little bit of rope on this little stake in the ground? It's because what they do when the elephant's a baby... They put this big chain around its ankle and they tether it to this stake in the ground so it can't move. And so as a baby, it pulls and it works out if it pulls on that, it actually hurts its leg because it can't pull the stake and it can't pull the chain. And over time, it gets conditioned to realise that if it has this thing around its leg and it can see the stake, that it can't move and if it moves, it's going to hurt it. And when they've trained the elephant as a baby to do that, it works out they can just put a little bit of rope around it, a small chain around its ankle. They can just have the stake sitting there. And even though the elephant has the strength a hundred times to pull that thing out, it won't even try and pull on it because it's conditioned to think that it can't. And that's what Satan does with us. He, through our upbringing, through our experience in life, he conditions us to think a certain way. 
that he can beat us, that we have failure in the area, that we can't push through. We'd be like the Egyptians. We can see God move and God move and God move and he puts in a situation. The next time there's pressure, we go back to what we're conditioned to do rather than what God can do. And we stand there on the shore and what's our response is not, hey God, how are we going to get through this? It's God, what are you doing to us? This isn't fair. Why are we going through this again? Why am I in this situation again? And we forget what the Lord has done. And we forget what his word says and we have our whinge. And we let the enemy contain us and oppress us. But God says, change your thinking. What he's been saying all morning is, change your thinking. Change your thinking. Get up higher. This is why we step into heaven. Because when you step into heaven, it changes your condition. You move from mental to spiritual. And that's something we have to do. You see, life has conditioned us to think according to what we can see, hear, touch, smell, taste. And we, real, we put those as a real reality because they are actually based around what we can experience and what we fear. And we make decisions based upon fear because that's how the world works. They say the money market actually works on fear and greed. And successful traders are people who can actually overcome fear and greed. Do you want to give you a side tip on how to beat fear and greed in trading? This is for free. This one's for free. If you're ever buying stocks, always know when you're going to step out. All right? You beat fear by saying, if the price drops to this, I'm out. And you can do it when you actually buy the stock. So if you buy a stock at a dollar, say, all right, what you do is say, my condition on buying the stock, when you put it in, is that if it drops to 80 cents... It sells automatically. So you stop fear. All right? You also know what you expect to make out of the trade before you come out. This stops greed. You know, I plan to sell my stock at $1.20 or $1.30 or whatever it is. So you put in the condition to sell at $1.30. So you remove fear and greed. Smart traders. Trade for the long term. That one's for free. It's not financial advice. It's just wisdom. All right? Fear and greed. All right? Because that's what the world trades on. Fear and greed. If you don't understand that, then just don't trade in the stock market. It's fine. (laughs) It's not your thing. That's okay. You don't have to. But that's where fear and greed works. God does not want you to walk in fear and greed. He wants you to walk in faith. How do you walk in faith? Matthew says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll add all these things unto you. You see, whatever situation in, I mean, I mean, Dale and I, we've had, we've had a week. We have been hammered from pillar to post in one area or another all this week. It's just been one of those weeks. You know what I mean? Um, you sort of wake up in the morning and think, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, God's been speaking. There's been some good stuff in there, but it's just been one challenge after another challenge after another challenge, and it's just ridiculous stuff and ridiculous stuff. And, you know, I thank God that there are people we can ring up that, you know, it's really good to have people that speak into your life. You know, we're able to ring them up and just say, you know, hey guys, and talk to them. You know, we spoke to Dave and Jen on Friday, which is Bob Blackensee, those of you know them, we had a really good chat and, you know, really encouraging. And that's why it's good to be in community. I don't get people to try and do Christianity alone. It doesn't work like that. You know, being able to step into heaven, it's be good to walk with God. But it's to be one thing after another. And that's when God spoke that verse to me in the middle of the week. That, you know, it doesn't matter how bad your life gets. God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. That's how God sees you. It doesn't matter what comes your way. So when you've been delivered out of Egypt and you walk in the path and it looks like you've got the Red Sea on one side and you've got the Egyptian army on the other and you're going, there's nowhere to go. Ever felt like that? Maybe you're feeling that right now. Can I give you a tip that will change your life? Your first response in the natural is going to be look at your past. Your first response will be look at your failures. Because the devil will come and remind you of how you're a failure, of this is who you are, of how many times you've been through the situation, of how you're caught again, of how you were trapped. Because the first thing the Israelites saw when they were trapped was that they'd been trapped for 400 years. And that the only way from where they were was death. That's what the devil does. My advice to you is stop. Pick up the word of God and speak it. Now, I was sitting there this week feeling that, and that word just leapt up at me, and I turned there, and I really felt turned there in the Amplified, because I've read it in the King James. and, And I turned there in the Amplified, and I went, yes. And I spoke it. You have to speak the word of God. Don't just read it, speak it. That's the power of having it on a page in front of you. You look at it and you speak it because something happens when you hear yourself speak the Word of God. And I spoke the Word of God and the second time through of reading that verse, my spirit leapt within me. And I went, it's all right. It doesn't matter. My circumstances had not changed. Everything was exactly the same as far as I could see. What had changed was I stopped working down here And started working up there. And I went, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens. God's got this. And God's got me. And if you can do that and find a contentment in that, everything else suddenly gets a little bit smaller. It gets a little bit insignificant. It's a little bit like, you know what? We'll get through this. And as you do, you'll start to see ways through. You'll start to see a path. He'll split the sea. So you can walk right through it. You open your way for a miracle when you start to live your life God's way. So I want to say to you, stop seeing your life in the context of who you were. Because that is not who you are. Think about it. All 
of the Israelites were free. Right at that moment, they were free. They were free to turn around and they were free to fight the Egyptians. And they would have outnumbered them. There was five million of them. I'm pretty sure the Egyptian army was not five million people. Just by weight of numbers. No, they didn't have all the technology, but just by weight of numbers. I reckon they could have picked up enough stuff and had a good old battle and won. But they didn't see themselves like that. You've got to see yourself as who you are. You know, one person can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. In other words, whatever the devil is throwing at you, you can put it to flight. But our problem is that we're conditioned to think that we can't. We're conditioned to think that the world out there is bigger, the devil is bigger. He sold this massive lie. That what is around you is bigger, that the banks can control you, that you know other people can control you, that circumstances and businesses and councils and whatever it is, Work and things like this can control you because that's what you've grown up conditioned to think. It's all too big. It's all too hard. God says bollocks. Because you see, when you speak, the angels respond to your word. Did you know that? We've got to start living and thinking like it's true. Not just when we walk in here on a Sunday morning, but when we walk out of the door on a Monday morning. To wake up and go, he that is in me is actually greater than he that's in the world. And it doesn't matter if a thousand come at me, ten thousand come at me. It says, look, a thousand is going to fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand, Psalm 91 says, but whatever it is, is not going to come near you. I remember I had my back condition. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, you know, and it's so sore. And one of the guys in my workplace had exactly the same condition. And then I had another friend I'm talking to on the phone who was having operation, or just had an operation on the same condition. And I can sit there and I can think, these guys have had it longer and therefore that's my path. Or I can go, you know what? I've got God. And one fell on the side, another one fell on this side, but I walked through. I walked through in the healing of God. I walked through in his deliverance. I can remember when they changed the locks on our house. We had a rental property and we'd moved out and we were down in Perth and and we just couldn't get anybody to rent it. And it was just like, you know, it was just, we're starting a new church and there was a whole lot of pressure. It was like, and we sort of went to the point, this is ridiculous. And the bank actually came and changed the locks on our house because they were going to repossess it. That's the pressure we were under at that time. And we just had, there was no way out we could see in the natural. We'd had the house on the market for nearly a year, over a year. No one was buying. It was just like, this is ridiculous. And we went, you know what? Our God's bigger than this. And so we went, Dale and I said, that's it. It was a Tuesday. And we said, okay, we're going to fast every Tuesday. Just fast and pray. Nothing else we know to do. We're just going to fast and pray and let God change this. And so we did, and we started fasting and praying. And we got a call Wednesday morning from the bank and said, you know what, we're actually going to go back and change the locks. They went back and, at their expense, went back and changed the locks back. 
to our original locks. We didn't do anything. They just said, you know, we're just going to do this. It was bizarre. Cool. So we got through that week. Next Tuesday, fasting, praying. By the end of the day, we had an offer on the house. No, I'm talking no interest for 12 months. Not even anyone looking at the place. And this guy's driving by. We actually knew the guy. He's driving by and went, you know what, actually, I want to buy a house. And bought the house. And then he said, you know what, actually, I want to move in early. We went, look, we, you know, we haven't been there for 12 months. You know, we aren't in a position to come up right now and look at it. We, you know, we don't know what condition it's in. We know it's pretty clean and everything else that's been looked after. But, you know. And he went, that's fine. I'm going to move in. We, so we signed an agreement with him that said that whatever the state it was in, whatever the condition, he was responsible from the moment he moved in. And he went, yep, that's fine with that. Two days after he moved in, the hot water system broke. Now I'm going, that could have been us. And he went, oh, we'll fix that. Don't worry about it. Because he had to anyway. But that's what God will do. See, we had no way. And we're at the point where we could no longer pay it. The, pre- we were just, you know, we- the pressure was just all too much. But God put a way through. And we sold it for a good price. We didn't have to drop the price. didn't have to do anything. God will find a way through. God will make a way through. But you have to stop looking at your life according to your conditions. Just pull the light forward. That's it. All right? So I really want us to get that message. We're going to take communion now. And I want you to take it not as you've always taken it of... Yep, here we are, taking communion and just bringing my stuff and hanging out. But see yourself as God sees you. God gave me this verse to share with you. It was last night. 1 John 3, verse 1 says, See what an incredible quality of love the Father has given and showed bestowed on us, that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. And you know what the problem is? See in the second half of the verse. The reason the world does not know or recognize or acknowledge us, us is that it does not know or recognize or acknowledge him. You see, too often we live our life looking for others to acknowledge God in our lives, looking for others to acknowledge a status or an ability or a position. They're not going to because they don't know God. They don't know that you're a child of God. They don't know what it means for you to be a child of God. They think being a Christian is a weak thing. But God says to you, excuse me, I'm the King of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I'm the all-powerful one. I'm the one who measures the universe with the span of my hands. And when God says something, you know what stays said? You know when he said in the beginning, let there be light? You know that light's still creating? That the universe is expanding at the speed of light. Because when God says something, it stays said. He says, look, when I speak my word, it doesn't return to me void, but it accomplishes what I set it out to do. 
And he says, you're his child, you're an heir, a joint heir with Jesus. That everything Jesus has, every financial need, every healing need, every relationship need, every need in your life, if Jesus has it, you have it. Not the need, the provision. And as far as I know, Jesus isn't sick, Jesus isn't broke, and Jesus is in good relationship. Yeah? Yeah? So if Jesus has it, you have the same stuff. But we've got to stop seeing ourselves as our old self and start seeing ourselves as in Jesus, as in him, as children of God, standing next to Jesus. Yeah, come here, Shara. All right. Now, Shara's obviously my daughter. Yes? yes. That bit's obvious? All right, Anna, come Now, Anna is obviously my daughter, right? Yeah. Which one's my favourite? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a favourite over either. <laughs> you know, if, if, if someone came to me right now and said, here's a million dollars, give it to one of your children, I'd have to give it back. Because I couldn't decide. <laughs> that may be the way of doing it. Give it to one of my children and say, share it with everybody else. You can only give this one to your children. I couldn't do it. Because I love my kids equally. But that's how God sees you. He's got Jesus on one arm and you on the other. And he's not going, oh, yeah, I favour Jesus. Because you're as much a child as Jesus is. You're as much a child as Jesus is to God. And you have the same favour. Religion will tell you, oh, no, no, no. And I tell you what, we're having a fight with those religious spirits. They're raising their heads because we're kicking them out. That's what a battle has been all week. Because we're stirring up and breaking down the religious stronghold that says we can't. And that's all it is in your life, is religion saying you can't, you can't, you can't. You're different, you're the exception, you're whatever it is. That's for everybody else because this is who you are. No, that is not who you are. Any more than the Israelites were slaves when they walked out. You know, when they walked out, they were no longer under the slavery of Egypt. But it took a whole generation for them to work that out. My word to you is, be the generation that changes for your line. Be the generation that changes your family. And stop seeing yourself as a slave. Stop seeing yourself as your upbringing. Stop seeing yourself as who you were. Because that's the lie of the enemy. You know, Pharaoh may have been yelling it out, you are our slaves, you are our slaves, but it doesn't make it any truer. And that's what the devil's doing. He's yelling it out, you're my slave, I've got you captive. Well, it's time to shake off, break off the chains and start to walk through the water, just like the song says, yeah? Break off the chain. 
and start to speak over yourself who you are. Start to walk like it's who you are. Start to act like it's who you are. Because you are a child of God. God told me this week he's upset with his church because his church isn't being his church. It's not being his bride. Think about it. If you are the wife of Jesus, Jesus was your husband and you were his wife, what would your life be? Would it be how you're living now? I really doubt it. Because everything Jesus has, his wife has, yeah? And we are his bride. I know it's not a manly statement, guys, but you know. We are his bride. Not his heirs, his bride. So we're co-heirs with him. Yeah? Let's pray. Father, I pray let that sink into our spirits, who we are in you. Let us sink into our spirits, Father, how you've made us. That we are co-heirs with Christ. That we are free. Lord, as we come and take communion, as we enter into your rest, into your joy, into completeness in you. We want to worship you. Lord, let this seed of your word sink deep within our hearts. Let it rise up and bring a harvest within us that changes how we see ourselves. That we're no longer slaves of fear, but we're children of God. That you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, one of power, and of a sound mind. That we walk in your blessing, we walk in your prosperity, we walk in your health, we walk in your wholeness. Lord, we worship you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen.